You're listening to a sermon audio from Cypress Church. You can listen to more sermons on our website or by subscribing to our podcast on iTunes. We hope you enjoy the sermon and invite you to attend one of our services at 9 and 10.30 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Happy New Year. Okay, I want to frame our message this morning from a New Year's perspective, and I know Josh did a great job on that last week, but I know most of us have broken our resolutions already, so we're fine with starting fresh here. Um, So I went on Twitter uh, this week to get a little variety for New Year's resolutions. Here's some of the ones I found. I'm going to be a better, happier person. That's nice. That's something that uh, maybe most of us would think is a good thing. Next one is stop caring about other people's feelings and worry about mine. So... Hopefully, person one and two don't know each other. That's going to make it hard on the first person. Uh, punch everyone who makes a New Year resolution in the face. I don't know if, I don't know if they started with themselves or if they, if they end with themselves. I'm not sure how that goes. And then New Year's resolutions, you ask, nah, we wouldn't want to set myself up for disappointment. Pass me the Nutella. I'm with, I'm, I'm with her. So now I'm, I'm sure plenty of us have some of the run-of-the-mill resolutions. We want to exercise more, eat better, watch less TV, things like that. And I often think of how I can grow in the coming year, but I don't always think of the area of my life that this passage today has some great insight on, and that is not just how can I get better, but how can I help make the church better. And so um, we're going to finish our series on Colossians that we started back in September. So go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Colossians 4. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. Our ushers will be happy to bring you a loaner. Um, And just leave it on your seat when you're done. If you don't own a Bible, but you would like to, if you read it, we will be happy to give you one. Just leave that one on your seat, uh, but go to the Information Center, and we'll have one for you there. Um, And as you get there, I'm going to read this passage for you so that you can see where we're heading in all of this. Because it isn't what we'd normally consider a rich preaching passage, and we'd be wrong. It's actually a great passage. Um, Let me read it for you. Chapter 4, verses 7 to 18. Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He's a dear brother, a faithful minister and servant in the Lord. I'm sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. He's coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. My fellow prisoner Aristarchus sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You've received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God. And they've proved a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He's always wrestling in prayer for you that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Herapolis. Our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas send greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. After this letter has been read to you, see see that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and that you, in turn, read the letter from Laodicea. Tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the work you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Uh, for your word, and we thank you for a new year. And I pray that you would open our hearts during this time to hear from you, and that those changes and those commitments you're calling us to make, Lord, would would lodge deeply within us, and that we would be excited about what you're calling us towards, knowing that in that you're shaping us to become more like you and and enabling us to thrive in you by your grace. Bless this time, and uh, speak through me now in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So if you're wondering why I'm, I'm linking this to church life, that's exactly what Paul's doing here. He's demonstrating that his, the nature of his ministry is team-oriented, and he is relationally connecting with the audience in Colossae so that they can partner with him in ministry, but also so that they would commit to ministry in Colossae in, in the right way, and that they would, they would jump into serving the church there. So we're going to see some teaching. We're going to see some examples. We're going to see some implications of the storylines that we may not see on the surface of things here that will help us, if we commit to it, positively contribute to our church in the coming year, that we might soar to new heights and live faithfully by delighting in God and honoring His church. So our goal is that we would glory in Christ's church, and that's our, our title today for our last, um, as we, we finish Colossians today, on the first day of 2014, we're going to look at five commitments that can transform Cypress Church and our lives if we commit to them. And so when we do these, we can be confident that we're glorifying Christ as a church body in 2014. So before we get to them, though, I want to just say one thing. I just want you to commit to one or two of these today. Um, I don't want you to commit to, there's five of them. Don't commit to all five. That's way too much, unless God tells you specifically. But just pick one or two and say, God, that's the one I need. And if it's the first one, then just feel free to ignore me and start sketching out your plan with the Lord the rest of the way. But if that doesn't mean like check scores of the game or anything like that. Like you can't just say, I'm going to jump on that one. So, but one or two and focus on that. So commitment number one, encourage. Encourage. We all need encouragement. I don't know about you, but I get down. I get depressed at times. And when I do, I cry out to God and I say, God, I need you to encourage my heart. Usually I do it later than I should, but I I do it. And God always responds. Sometimes he speaks directly to my heart, but most of the time it's one of the things where he is speaking to me through someone with skin on. He's speaking through another person. And that's what Paul's doing to his Colossian co-laborers in this passage. One of Paul's travel companions um, on his third missionary journey was a guy named Tychicus. He's also carrying this letter so that the Colossians know what's happening with Paul and so that they would be encouraged. So verse 7. Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He's a dear brother, a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. So right there, Paul's encouraging Tychicus in front of I did it all service fine last service, so I've run out of my good pronunciation, I think. Um, but he's encouraging him right now by saying what a wonderful dear brother he is. And then he says, I'm sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. So, so Paul didn't plant this church, but he wants to encourage them in the faith. And so he, he, he knows that the Christian life is difficult, that it's not a sprint, that it's a marathon, and it's something that is challenging. And when you're on that long haul, you need encouragement. And so um, I, I've not run a marathon. Uh, we ran the, the Komen Race for the Cure in September, and it's only a 5K. And my son, when it says Race for the Cure, he really thinks it's a race. And so he's running really fast, and he's got a lot of energy. And so I barely survived that. Even when I'd make him, like, say, okay, I'm stopping now. Go run to the light and back. So he ran, like, an 8K. But, <laughs> but the rest of us ran five. But, um, so I've never run a marathon. But, but Mike has, so I'll steal his story. Several years ago, Mike ran in the Long Beach Marathon, and he, he had hit the wall. And there was one of our former elders at the time. He was there at that point, and he walked with him for just a little while. And, and that helped get Mike over the hump and finish the race. And it was a very important and a, a, a important factor in Mike completing a pretty significant life goal. And, and that's what we're looking at here. The Christian life is hard. It is a marathon. Um, but, and so we need encouragement. God created us to need each other. And some people, you know them, they just ooze encouragement. It just comes 
out their pores. They just, that's what they do. They do well. Others of us, it's a bit more difficult. But I think all of us need to wrestle with, God, do you want me to move forward? Do you want me to take a step in being a person who is more encouraging this year? And so there's plenty of ways to encourage. I mean, smile. Smiling's my favorite too. There's Hugs are wonderful. Um, write notes. I have a drawer in my office. I don't go to it often, but it's there in case of emergency of just some of the the notes of encouragement that people have given me throughout the years and, and, and emails and stuff like that, um, that those are things that are tangible for people to hold on to when they need encouragement. Brag on people and do it publicly. That's what, that's what Paul does here. Also in verse 11, he does it some more. He says, these are the only Jews among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have proved a comfort to me. So Paul was all about encouraging, and that's what this, this whole section serves to do. So we need to be encouragers, and we need to be proactive in doing it. One of the things we do each week is a greeting time. We just did it. It's quick. Well, usually, you guys aren't that quick. You guys last a long time for your, for your, for your uh, greeting time. But it's that brief window, and it's easy to just throw it away or just go through the motions on it. But I want you to seize that as an opportunity for ministry. That, that, that to, to greet that person next to you and give them the hug that is going to help them because they've just had a terrible week or, or, or speak that word of encouragement that they need. Or there's that guest who they wonder if anyone's going to notice them at all here. And, and don't just greet the, the usual suspects, but go look for them and greet them and let them know that you're glad that they're here. Um, seize that as an opportunity. And maybe you see something and you see that pain and you think, I only got about 30 seconds here. I can't open that door. But you say, you know what? Let's go grab lunch afterwards so that you can spend some time ministering to them and, and seeing where they are. But that's an opportunity each week that we've built in. And, and I encourage you to seize it as an opportunity to encourage and as an, a door to open up on further encouragement throughout the week. So our first commitment, encourage. Our next commitment for transforming Cypress Church and our lives in, and the lives of others in 2014, commitment number two is to reconcile. Reconcile. This one's going to be tough. Because this is some real heart stuff that's not nearly as fun as encouraging others. And now, if, as I read through this passage, you may think I'm making this up. I, always, I, I often make stuff up, just not here. That's mostly with my parenting. Um, so, but look at verse 10 here. My fellow prisoner Aristarchus sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. And you're thinking, you're still making it up. But stick with me here, because this is just a very plain verse on the surface. But as Paul Harvey said, when we understand the rest of the story, it's very powerful. See, Paul, the author of Colossians, he's a missionary without equal, even though he always works as a team. But what's interesting is he wasn't the first guy on the team. Paul's former vocation, he used to kill Christians. And there's this guy named Barnabas who's awesome. And what Barnabas does, he says, hey guys, I know it could cost us our lives, but let's give him a chance. And so he invites Paul into the church. And then they become the dream team. They're the first missionary team. They're like, I mean, if, depending on your era, they're like Sonny, or Sh- Sonny and Cher. They're the Lone Ranger and Tonto. They are Golden Tate and Russell Wilson. I mean, they were it. They were it. So, so now... In Acts 13, in Acts 13, they're sent off on a missionary journey. And they had this guy named John with them. And it was a successful journey. So they go on their second missionary journey. And then there's some issues. And the, the, there's a, not a translation of the Bible, but a paraphrase by a guy named Eugene Peterson called The Message. And he describes their falling out. He says, a few days after this, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit all our friends in each of the towns where we preach the word of God. Let's see how they're doing. Barnabas wanted to take John along to take John along, the John nicknamed Mark. That's the Mark we're talking about in Colossians 4. But Paul wouldn't have him. He wasn't about to take along a quitter who 
as soon as the going got tough, had jumped ship on them, them in Pamphylia. Tempers flared, they ended up going their separate ways. What happened was that things got tough during that first missionary journey. We don't know the details. And then John Mark bailed on them. And Paul says, I'm not going to compromise this second missionary journey. It's too important. Um, But Barnabas says, I'm about giving people second chances. And both positions make sense. And neither of them was budging. So the dream team broke up. I mean, John Mark is Yoko here. But, but, (laughs) but, But that's not the end of the story. That's not the end of the story because something happened and we don't know what it is, but, but there comes this point where John was not on talking terms with Paul, where he didn't want anything to do with him. Maybe it was they were on talking terms, but he's like, I'm not trusting him. But then look, 2 Timothy 4, verse 11 is one of the last um, things Paul wrote. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. And of course, he's valuable in this passage as well. Now, that's, that's a moving verse to me in light of the context. So we don't know what happened between here and there, but there was a rift and God did some powerful work to knit them together so that they could serve and that they were valuable to one another. And we want this to be true of us as well. We want to be a people who reconcile. Now, this is, this is a great story and it's easy to say reconcile when it's already done or even when it's personal. But... That's not it in this passage. In verse 9, we see another just plain statement that becomes powerful again when we know the rest of the story. He is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. Onesimus is a runaway slave. If you look a few books over in your Bible, you'll see a little book, a one-chapter wonder called Philemon. And Philemon is Onesimus' owner. And so that whole letter is Paul pleading with Philemon to receive Onesimus back, not so much as a slave, but as a brother. See, Paul doesn't just live reconciliation in his own life with John Mark, but he's facilitating reconciliation in a really difficult situation. He's not just taking one side or being a listening ear. He is working to bring people together in line with God's values. And and give Philemon a read this week and get some insight on how Paul does it. Because it's rooted in the grace of God and our new standing as brothers and sisters in Christ. See, it's the nature of the gospel to lead to reconciliation with one another. In fact, Cale taught me this last night. The Saints beat the Eagles last night, which means the Seahawks play the Saints next week. Now, Debbie Ortego, the Ortegos are are a good friend of our, Debbie's one of the administrative assistants here. And so Cale, we went to, when they played on Monday night, we went over there um, and so Kale, we had fun. Seahawks won, so of course he had fun. So, um, so Kale comes in last night. He's smiling at me, and he says, maybe we can go to Debbie's and watch the game. And I'm like, I want to stay friends with them. Let's not do that. Um, and he's like, Dad, we're church people. We'll be nice. And, and so... And I said, but well, you say, oh, to me, because he got kicked out of the house last time for taunting. So like the game was over, the game was over. Everyone's giving high fives by. And John's just like, you can just go because he was, he was having so much fun taunting. So, um, but more than church people were Jesus people. And we need to reconcile relationships. We can still get along. We can still be nice. But that doesn't mean it's easy because things still come undone. There's one more character to look here, and there's no backstory. Verse 14. 
Our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas send greetings. There's no backstory, but there's an unfortunate fast forward for us. Uh, the verse before in 2 Timothy, um, we see 2 Timothy 4.10, Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. We have to take this as a warning. That, that things may be great now. If there's no reconciliation that we need to deal with now, that's wonderful, but it's probably coming. Jesus tells us that others will, will know that we are dis, his disciples by our love for one another. And that's a tall order because we're people and it's messy and we make mistakes and we need to forgive. We need to let others forgive us. We need to reconcile. And some of us are grudge holders. And so we need to take this one seriously. And I don't want to spend too much more time on this, but it's certainly worthy of a whole series of sermons and workshops because relationships are complicated. There's no easy answers. But the answer to a relationship can't just be to wash our hands and let it go. We need to seek reconciliation, at least so long as it's um, possible on our part. So what commitments can we make to see transformation in Cypress Church in our own lives in 2014? Encourage, reconcile. Number three is a two-parter. Commitment number three is pray and work. Pray and work. Now these could be separate points, but we're going to keep them together because they describe the ministry of one man, Epaphras. He's likely the founder of the Colossian church. He's one of them, is what we'll read here. And he's committed to praying for them. Verse 12. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. The NIV translation here is great. Wrestling in prayer. Epaphras isn't a casual prayer. The Greek word is agonizomai, and it means struggling or wrestling, agonizing. It's the same word that was used for Jesus' prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane before he was led to the cross. Now, there are different kinds of prayer, and they're all wonderful. There's conversational prayer where you're just talking to God like a friend. Beautiful. There's times where we just sit and listen to him and dwell in his presence silently. Fantastic. There's times where we just celebrate and rejoice and, and, and shout because he's been so good to us. All those are wonderful, and I'm sure Epaphras does those, but that's not what he's doing here. He's agonizing. He's wrestling. He is spending himself in prayer for this church. And what's amazing to me is that it's not necessarily in this time of high crisis. In Corinthians, it's a time of high crisis. That place is a wreck. Colossians, there's no immediate mess. They're, all, they're on the verge of mess, of syncretizing into the culture, but it's life as usual for them. And he is agonizing in prayer for them on a regular basis. Some of us, many of us don't know how to wrestle in prayer unless it's an urgent pressing issue. And, and I'm not so good in that way. I don't agonize in prayer on a regular basis, so this is a big challenge to me. I can agonize in prayer for the Honduras team for, for a week and a half, two weeks, because that's pressing stuff, and there's an end in sight. It's a lot more difficult to do it on a regular basis, and so thankfully, though, we have models. I mean, I, I'm so grateful for the, the prayer ministry of Richard Horn and Dean Cornett and the others who pray diligently and faithfully and wrestle in prayer for you on Sunday mornings. And we all meet at eight o'clock and they keep going all the way through first service. You have been prayed for for hours this morning that God would be at work in your hearts, that God would speak through each of us and who's playing and speaking and that God would change your life today. And, and, and we need more who do that. And if you're saying, I wanna wrestle in prayer, that sounds great, but I just don't know how to do it. Then, then get with people who do. 
Um, eight o'clock every morning, we meet in that room. Also, first service, right, Richard? You have a team of people who are praying. Um, it's right through those doors and to the left. Seven o'clock on Tuesday nights, there are people who are praying for all the needs of this church. So we need to wrestle in prayer. And we have some great people who can help lead us in that. And there's tons of other venues to pray. Even if you're not here on Sundays or Tuesdays, there's community life groups, there's just friendships, there's family. Many of us would do well to set a resolution to do a little more wrestling in prayer this year. Prayer is so important. Sometimes when I've tried everything I can think to do in a situation, I'll say, you know what? All we can do now is pray. And that's dumb. Because the first thing we should do is pray. John Bunyan is the author of the the classic Christian allegory, The Pilgrim's Progress. I don't know if this is in The Pilgrim's Progress. It's a quote I found, but it's, it's perfect. You can do more than pray after you have prayed, but you cannot do more than pray until you have prayed. That's what Epaphras does. He prays, and then he does more. Then he, then he goes to work. Look at verse 13. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Herapolis. So, so he planted the Colossian church, maybe even the others, and now he's ministering to Paul while he's in prison and he's committed to serving. And notice he works for the Colossians and two other local cities. You, you see him on the map there. It's a network of churches of sorts. Which that's interesting because we're doing this branch in Los Alamitos coming up. And that means that in that, things are going to change here and there. And so we need prayer. We need people who are going to agonize in prayer for what God is doing in Los Alamitos, that he would be preparing hearts and for people to connect with a new uh, community there and, and connect with Christ, most importantly. And so it's thrilling to pray for God to break new ground. But you know what? There's, there's also... It's not just about Los Alamitos because there's people here in Cyprus who, even though we've been here for a long time, there are people who need God to do a new thing in their lives for God to break into their hearts. And so we need to be wrestling in prayer, not just for the new thing we're doing over here, but for the amazing things that are already happening here and that God would continue to draw people to himself here as well. And we need to pray that people would, would thrive in Christ, which is what being mature is all about. And that's what Epaphras is praying for. So we need to be praying. We need to be agonizing in prayer. But we also need to work. We, we need people to hop in and see this happen. We've, we've had a team of folks working hard to get us ready for the previous service near the end of February, but we need some more who want to join the team and be part of a, a kind of a critical mass launch group. And so contact me if you're interested in that. In the community life groups, speaking of work, there'll be in the upcoming campaign, there's going to be a way for each group to, to contribute to launching the branch. So jump into that with passion when it comes time for that. But again, yes, working is not just all about the branch. We're hoping about 50 people or so will join us to get started over there, um, to get kind of us running out of the gate. But that means there's going to be some holes here, that, that there's some, some needs in children's ministry. There'll be ushers. There's other positions as well where there will be places where people need to step up. And so some of you might be wrestling in prayer, and some of the things you've been wrestling in prayer about is, God, where do you want me to get involved? Do you really want me to serve? Do you want me to take that extra step forward? And I think he's saying yes, because there's tons of opportunities available. We've got a fantastic children's ministry. In fact, this is not in my notes, and I can't, the clock's got a glare, so we won't worry about that. Um, so, but, uh, but we were going to Disneyland a couple Sundays ago. We had t- 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 tickets to the Christmas e- the tree lighting thing. 
candlelight service. And so we were there, and we just kind of tricked the kids. Like, we, we had our tickets were on a Sunday, so we spent the day at the park. I skipped church. Don't tell anybody. Um, and so we're, we're driving there, and we just drove by church. They're like, where are we going? Why aren't we going to church? And so we had fun with it. Oh, I got to pick something up. So then we finally get there. They finally realize, oh, we're going to Disneyland. And as we're turning into the parking lot, Kale's like, no, Dad, don't do it. Like, and I'm like, what is wrong with you, kid? Uh, so, so that... That just, that speaks wonders for the fantastic children's ministry we have is that he got over it, believe me, but, um, <laughs> but, but a great opportunity to transform lives. And so I want to encourage you if, you, if you're wondering, don't wonder. Go over there, talk to them, see, hey, how can I get plugged in? Um, because it's fantastic. Um, so anyways, Paul has a great team and they are great for a lot of different reasons. They encourage, they reconcile, they pray, and they work. What commitments does God want you to make? We've got in one or more of these areas. We've got actually two more here. And if one hasn't popped for you yet, we've got two more. So commitment number four is finish. Finish. Persevere in ministry. Persevere in life. God's called you to something or he's going to call you to something and he's calling you to finish well. Colossians chapter four, verse 17. Tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the work you have received in the Lord. Now we don't know much about Archippus. He's mentioned in Philemon chapter 2 as a fellow soldier. So Paul thinks highly of him as a co-worker. Beyond that, we just know that he has a ministry from the Lord and he's supposed to finish it. This is our fourth commitment. What has God called you to that you need to commit to finishing? Where you need to persevere? There may be a time where God's calling you away and that's fine to something new. But if he's not, finish. Persevere. We're going to go through a series on vocation and calling in a few months. At least that's our current plan. And there's a reality, that, though, that God has called you to ministry right where you are, in your family, in your church, in your workplace, in your community. So where is he calling you? How is he calling you to finish that work well? Maybe family life is tough right now, or a friendship, and you just want to write it off. But how is God calling you to persevere, to finish, to love well in the, in the midst of this? It isn't easy, I know, but ask him. Maybe it's, it's church. You're disenchanted with yours, so you're visiting here. Or you're disenchanted here and you're considering somewhere else. And God can certainly call us away. But does he really want you to go or is it you that wants to go? Maybe he's calling you to finish. Maybe he's calling you to persevere. Maybe it's your job, it's miserable, but God has not released you from that. Stick with it, be strong, glorify him in the midst of the junk that you're having to deal with there. Same with serving the community. We need to be a people who stick with it, who persevere in service, who finish strong finish well. So Paul challenges Archippus to be a finisher in the ministry, and the challenge is there for us as well, if we want to leap forward as a church and as individuals. So where is God calling you to commit to being a finisher? Now, I won't ask you to raise your hands, but is anyone exhausted yet? Like, I mean, that's a lot. I, uh, you may be thinking, you know what, Christmas has been crazy, and I want to start this year off right, and I'm worn out from Christmas, and so I'm just going to go hear a nice sermon, and I'm just going to relax, and then I did this to you. And I apologize. Um, I mean, encourage, reconcile, pray, and work, finish. That just sounds like a lot of work. And you're feeling depleted, and you don't have anything to encourage anybody with. Or you can't believe God wants you to reconcile with them. You feel guilty about your prayer life, and you wonder how you could do one more thing, let alone be diligent in your work. You feel finished, and the last thing you want to do is finish. And I, and I, I get that. And this series is about glory, living the beauty of Christ. And, and this, I mean, 
the thing that's beautiful about this list is it seems like it would be maybe a beautiful movie to watch of someone persevering through this, or maybe it would be a beautiful list to have checked off, but certainly the thought of living it is exhausting. I've always thought an interesting sermon series would be how to make Jesus really mad um, from Matt... Like, read Matthew 23 and you'll know. Um, he pronounces, I think, seven woes on the scribes and Pharisees. And if I stopped right now, there's one in particular I would be guilty of. Matthew 23, verse 4 says, They tie up heavy loads and put them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. So I don't want to be guilty of that. So I want to focus, and, and we'll end our time focusing on our last commitment. Our, and this one is the non-negotiable. I said one or two. If you only have one, this is your commitment. This is all of our commitment this year if we only have one. Hopefully God's calling you to one of the others as well, but this one is primary. This one is central. Commitment number five is to rest. Rest. Paul has given some good challenges throughout this letter, but he ends it on a word of grace. Verse 18. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. We need to rest in God's amazing grace and kindness towards us. And this is a huge commitment a lot of us need to make in 2014 because we're so focused on what we need to do. And I realize I haven't helped with that this morning. But our commitment primarily needs to be resting in God, not focusing on how much we need to do for God. And I realize I sound like I'm contradicting myself, but I'm trying to save us and myself from becoming Pharisees. Resting in Him is the top commitment for each of us this year. It is not optional. And then as we rest in him first and foremost, um, we are strengthened to do whatever it is he calls us to do, including the commitments we've talked about today or whatever else he's called you to for this year. And if we can put these commitments to work, we're going to see great strides in our own lives and as we move forward as a church in the coming year. So maybe God's been working on you in different ways, but if you don't have a commitment for the year to come, pick two of these. The first one, non-negotiable, rest in him. After that, maybe you need to take seriously the call to encourage. Encourage with all your heart. And if you're not good at it, just work hard to get better at it, if that's what he's calling you to do. Maybe it's that awkward conversation or the thawing of the ice that needs to happen to have restoration take place. Go for that. Maybe you need to carve out time to pray, or you need to actually get to work and, and, and do something to serve others intentionally. Do that with the energy that God provides. Or maybe you're serving working, living, and you just think you're done. If Jesus says you're done, that's fine. But if not, finish well. Grab onto one of those. Or if you've got something else, that's great too. But grab onto one of those, but get first things first. Above all else, rest in his grace. It's endless, it's extravagant, and it's offered to each one of us. We don't earn it. It was secured when Jesus died on the cross to suffer God's wrath in our place to take our punishment in our place. That's why we celebrate communion. It's an opportunity to celebrate why we can rest in, rest in his grace because it's based on what he's done, not on what we do. And so um, we're going to take communion now, and, and if those who are serving communion would find their way to the tables to get ready. But just a couple points as we go into this. Um, if you haven't yet made a commitment to Christ and, you, and given yourself to him, um, then we encourage you to, to not take of the elements just because it's a celebration of what he's done for us. 
And so if you haven't said, God, I, I want to receive your forgiveness and I want to receive life in you, then it just doesn't make sense that you would take them. But if you do want to make that commitment, I made that commitment on a communion, at a, before a communion service when I gave my life to Christ. If you're saying, God, I, I do want to be yours, then we encourage you, pray in your heart that, God, I'm a sinner and I realize Jesus paid for my sin and I accept that gift and I want to live for you. Pray that in your heart right now and please come celebrate it and tell us about it so we can celebrate with you. Um, for the rest of us, there's some stuff here that might be settling heavy on you. And if that's the case, we want you to receive these elements and spend some time praying, saying, can, whether it's confessing sin or, or just wrestling with God and, and getting everything right with him. Um, and then we'll, we'll partake of the elements together. So you see there's two tables in back, two in front. When the, when the music begins, we encourage you to come receive the elements, take them back to your seat, and then in a few minutes, I'll lead us all in taking them together. So let's, let's worship and... Um, gather the elements together.